0: We are continuing our study uh, of this book. Last week we left it in verse 26, so this week we'll pick it up at verse 27. This is kind of the the second part of a two-part little discussion on the world turned upside down. We looked at this last week, how Jesus, the week of His crucifixion, uh, just really four or five days before He's crucified, rides into Jerusalem on a donkey, and how He starts to, to tell His crowd that what you're expecting and what you're thinking is very different. They wanted a political liberator on a war horse. And he says, I come on a donkey meek and lowly to to die for your sins. They, the religious leaders, the Jewish people were rejecting this rabbi, but the Gentile people are coming to him. Very different. That's not how rabbis normally worked it. It was, you know, I'll talk to the people, but the Gentiles don't come. But the Gentiles come and Jesus says, you know, this is why I'm dying. This is for everybody. This is inclusive. Then you find that he tells you, if you really want to live and you really want life, fall into the ground and die. That's what I'm going to do, and I'm going to produce life. Now he continues this thought process of really turning the world upside down, turning these, these ideas upside down in verse number 27. So read with me. He says, now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this cause came I unto this hour. Father, glorify thy name. Then came there a voice from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. The people, therefore, that stood by and heard it said that it thundered. Others said an angel spake to him. Jesus answered and said, this voice came not because of me, but for your sakes. Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. This he said, signifying what death he should die. The people answered him, We have heard out of the law that Christ abideth forever, and how sayest thou that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is the Son of Man? Jesus said unto them, Yet a little while is the light with you. Walk while ye have light, lest darkness come upon you. For he that walketh in darkness knoweth not whither he goeth. While ye have light, believe in the light, that ye may be the children of light. These things spake Jesus and departed, and did hide himself from them." Well, there's no doubt that the focal point of this passage is the cross. And right in the middle of this passage, verse number 31, Jesus says that because of his death, now there is a judgment of the world. Now, when I first read that, I knew we had been studying through John, and we had weeks ago covered John chapter number 3, where Jesus said in John three seventeen that he did not come to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. That word condemned in John 3 and the world judged in John 12 is the same word. It's translated differently, but it's the same word. And I read that and I thought, man, which is it? Did you come not to condemn and judge the world, but save them? Or are you coming now to judge and condemn the world? Which is it? And the answer is both. And the reason is both is because uh, the, the word world can be employed in different ways. And this isn't unique to Jesus. We do this. If you were camping with your son on maybe a Boy Scouts trip or something, and you looked up at the stars and saw the cosmos and said, son, isn't the world amazing? You would be saying the stars, the, the, the Milky Way, the oceans, the mountains, the sunset. It's amazing, right? The trees. But if the next day you went home and you told your daughter, you know, baby girl, I want to give you the world. You're not saying I want to give you trees and oceans and mountains. You're saying, I want to provide for your needs. I want to give you everything that you have. That that we use that in in a variety of different ways. So did Jesus. And when Jesus says in John 3.16 that he loved the world or that he, John 3.17, didn't come to condemn the world, he's more or less talking about the people of the world. That I love them and I didn't come to condemn them. And he says clearly because they're actually already condemned if they don't believe. Uh, but I came to save them and I love them. when he says in John 12 that I'm coming for judgment of this world, he's speaking of the world system, the world's ways of thinking. Uh, the world's ways are being condemned as faulty and wrong. What Jesus is saying is that the cross is going to be a judgment on the way the world thinks. On, on the way the world prioritizes things. And really, that's the, the, the real a key to unlocking this whole passage, what he's been telling his audience now, as we saw last week and this week. And in this text, Jesus is going to say that there are these, these enigmas, these upside-down ways of thinking. And you'll see it displayed in this text by the glory, the authority, the victory, and the beauty. Those are the four things we're going to see. The glory, the authority, the victory, and the beauty. Let's, let's start with the glory verse 27 he says my soul's troubled okay jesus why is your soul troubled why are you worked up well we know it's because he's about to say i'm I'm dying i'm going to die and i don't think that this this trouble of soul this anxiety even is is something that is because of the physical agony he's going to experience although i'm sure he's played this through his mind a thousand times we do this when we go to the dentist don't we we play it over and over and over again until we get to the dentist and we don't want to get there because we know it's not going to be that fun. But the real weight of what is pressing Jesus' soul was, yes, his impending death, but it's not the physical torment. It's the reality that he was going to take on sin. You see this very clearly in a couple of days in the garden as Jesus prays, that the, the clear thought process that I am going to be a substitute for sin, that the wrath of God is going to be poured out on me, that I'm going to be forsaken by my father is really what is troubling him. But he, he quickly kind of reverses out of this and says, but, but this is why I came. This, 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 the, the hour, the death, this is why I'm here. I was born to die. I came to give my life a ransom for many. I came to seek and to save that which was lost. This is the real reason why I'm here. So Father, glorify your name. God, get glory out of this. Out of the cross, out of the death that is about to happen, get glory out of this. And a voice from heaven comes and says, I have glorified it and I will glorify it. I have gotten glory from your life and ministry, my son. I've gotten glory when you healed people. I've gotten glory when you fed the 5,000. I got glory when you walked on the water. I've gotten glory out of all this, but I will get glory out of your death. That is going to take place. I have and I will. Now this should strike you as a weird statement because if you know anything about a cross, the cross was not designed to be glorious, it was not designed to promote the glory of the one who hung there. The cross was designed for shame. You know, it makes sense to me that we would look up at the stars, even in cloudy Pittsburgh, and, and we would uh, see the stars and we would be in awe of the, of the majesty and the power of a God to create that, much less if you get somewhere with a clear sky to see the Milky Way or you look through a telescope, that that would inspire glory, that that would cause us to think about how good and how awesome God is. But the cross... The cross seems like you'd have to be weak, that you'd have to be powerless. You're you're stripped naked. You're made a mockery of. How do you get glory out of that? See, the stars can teach you something about God, and the cross can teach you something about God, but the cross will teach you lessons that the stars won't. You can see a, a big, great, glorious God up in the stars, but how do you know if that God cares for you how do you know if that God has affection for you, if he loves you? How do you know if he wants what's best for you? How do you know that he isn't impersonal? You don't see that in the stars, but you see that in the cross. You see that he, that he does come down, that he is born to die, that he's willing to be killed by his own creation. That nothing in all of history gives glory to God like the cross does. That salvation is made possible for man. And nothing warrants glory like the cross does to to prove that he loves us. And there's not shame and reproach there anymore. There's glory there. The the cross really is a weird thing to celebrate. That you put on your steeples or or you put around your neck. That's the equivalent of a thousand years from now. People walking around with electric chairs around their neck. And putting electric chairs on top of their churches. We would think that's weird. That's a symbol of execution. That's what the cross was. But he flips it. He said, This isn't just shame anymore. This, this, isn't, this isn't reproach anymore. This is going to be glorious. God is going to get glory out of this. And the Father comes and says, yes, Jesus, you're right. I will get glory out of this. And Jesus says, when they start to debate, what was that noise? Some natural, you know, it was the weather, thunder, some supernatural, angels are speaking. Jesus says, that voice came for your sake. What's that mean? that voice came for the for the sake of my followers who are likely struggling with the reality that i'm going to die you see that all through the gospels that he tells them gonna die gonna die gonna die now's the time gonna die gonna be lifted up and they just can't they just can't cope with that and jesus likely knows that when he dies they'll wonder did the train go off the rails Was was this all just a big mess? Was this made a debacle of? And the voice of the Father comes down as heavenly affirmation of the death of His Son. He's not dying because He displeased me. I'm not going to forsake Him because He detoured from my plan. This is my plan. I will get glory in the cross. Something that I think his followers needed to know as the Father validates the death of the Son, as the the union of the Father and the Son is clearly demonstrated to be unbroken even when you look at the cross. But then you see that Jesus says that out of this is going to come glory, but there's also some authority. Verse 31, he says, now is the judgment of this world. Those that were in authority thought that they were judging Jesus when they had a mock trial when they took him to Pilate. They thought that they were in charge. They thought they were were judging. But Jesus says through the cross, sin's empire, sin's system is going to be judged. What the world says, what the world values is going to be reversed. That The world will tell you to claim the throne. You want the power? Go take it. The spoils? Go to the strong. Just do it. It's in your power. But the cross comes along and gives us an extremely interesting case study that here is a man without military power, a man without political power, although they want him to have some, a man without financial power. His followers don't even have financial power. He scrapped together a bunch of backwoods Galileans who they think are ignorant and unlearned and a bunch of peasants to be his disciples. He's executed at a very young age, 33 years old. He's penniless when he's killed. He's abandoned not just by his followers, but he's abandoned also by his father. And it's not in spite of that. It's because of that. He becomes the most influential figure in the history of the world. Here comes the cross turning on its head what the world would say. And your parents told you, get good grades, get into an Ivy League college, get a good job, make money, and and then you'll make an impact on the world, right? Because that's the world's way of thinking. And here's Jesus, like a rock shattering a window, showing us that I am going to contradict what most of the world thinks is is just common thinking, what they think is intelligence or wisdom, that I am going to reverse the prevailing ideas of the world. I'm going to judge that. And the cross will come in conflict with all of the world's mindsets. I don't care if it's a religious mindset or an irreligious mindset. I don't care if it's a conservative mindset or or a liberal mindset. No matter what mindset or what kind of uh, frame of mind you work from, the cross will shock that. It's not just one more idea and a long list of ideas. It shocks and breaks them all. Paul said exactly this when he wrote who was himself shocked. The man who wanted to persecute Christians, to kill Christians, who thought that the cross was a, was a mockery and a sham and there was no resurrection, but then came face to face with a risen Jesus and it flipped his world upside down. And Paul writes to the Corinthians and says, the preaching of the cross is to them that perish, the people that don't believe, it's foolishness, but unto us which are saved, it's, it's the power of God The world looks at this and says it's crazy and it's foolish and it's unwise, but we know there's power there. He says it's written, God in the cross said, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. I will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where's the wise now, I might add? Where's the scribe now? Where's the disputer of this world now? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? What's he saying? He flipped it all the prevailing ideas he he said no look at the cross it's different god's foolish thing the cross was wiser than all the world's wisdom put put together god's weak thing the cross was stronger than all the world's strength put together but here i am to to judge the world you think you're judging me but you're not then you find that there's victory and this is this is worth a celebration right here we may have to take a lap on this one Back half of verse 31, now shall the prince of this world be cast out. Jesus makes it very clear that in the cross, Satan and his cohorts and the devils of hell are going to be spoiled, are going to be defeated, are going to be publicly made a show of, as Colossians would put, that Christ is going to triumph over them and they are going to be cast out, which is the greatest plot twist the world has ever known. I don't care what book you like, what movie you like, you just twist and twist, and at the end, it's just the shock of a plot twist that just gets you every time. Satan had attempted to destroy Jesus with Herod when Jesus was just a baby, but he failed. Satan had had tried to destroy Jesus in the wilderness with with his temptation, but Jesus would not succumb, and he failed. And now, satanic powers have put into the thoughts of men, we'll see this in chapter 13, that they have put into the mind of Judas to betray the Son of God, to sell him out so that Jewish authorities can come and take him and crucify him but Paul says that had the princes of this world known what was going to happen on the cross they wouldn't have crucified the Lord of glory they wouldn't have done it they didn't know it was coming Jesus admits when they take him in Gethsemane that this is your hour and the power of darkness he tells them what, what the powers of darkness are trying to accomplish, they, they are accomplishing. They are executing their plan perfectly. I am going to be nailed to the cross. But they they could have never imagined that this would be their undoing. That he would flip the tables, that he would overthrow them. And, and Jesus now in the cross is not just made a mockery of, and not just crucified and done away with, but this man was offered once the sacrifice for sins forever. And I don't know when it clicked in Satan's mind, if it was when Jesus cried, it is finished, or when Jesus rose from the dead. But shortly after Jesus dies, it clicked. that this was not at all what I had anticipated, that there was a cosmic sneak attack here, that they had been foiled, that the prince of this world was being cast out. How? God becomes vulnerable. God becomes weak. He suffers. He dies. He seemingly loses. He's defeated. But that was the way of salvation. That was the path to victory. That was an undoing of what they thought was normal. And we're told over and over again in Scripture that Jesus, through his death, destroyed him that had the power over death. John tells us later in his epistle that Christ in his atoning work came and destroyed the works of the devil. We're told that that Jesus makes a show of principalities and powers publicly. He spoils them. He he triumphs as a great warrior king by sacrificing himself as a lamb. What's happening here? Jesus saying, look, the world and its priorities and its prerogatives are being judged. I'm, I'm telling you, this, the cross, is where I'm getting glory. This, the cross, is, is, is where you're really going to see clearly what wisdom is and what wisdom is not. This, the cross, is what's going to overthrow Satan. I think C.S. Lewis said it best. He said, on the back of Satan's neck, you'll find a nail-pierced footprint. And if you read the Bible for any length of time, you'll be struck by how much it mentions spiritual stuff. Forces of darkness, forces of light, that that goes on and is real. And sure, Satan still fights, but he fights from death row. Condemned and cast out and already awaiting his doom. And Jesus made that possible in the cross. But then you see, I don't know if I have a favorite, but this may be my favorite, the beauty. Verse 32 says, and I, if I be lifted up from the earth, not as if it was uncertain, but when this happens will draw all men unto me this he said signifying what death he should die so in case it was unclear to us john wants to make it clear he's talking about his death but this was not unclear to his audience the next verse tells us that because the next verse they say jesus the messiah is supposed to be forever the messiah can't die they know what he meant It was was a very common part of their vernacular to use the term thrown down or lifted up. Thrown down was the way of execution for the Jews. You get thrown down, we stone you. Lifted up was the way of execution for the Romans. You're lifted up and hoisted on a cross and there you're crucified. So they knew exactly what Jesus was saying, that this was about his death and his crucifixion. And Jesus says that I will draw all men unto me if I be lifted up. Now, for those of you that don't have a ton of church background, this will be lost on you a little bit. Those of you that have a lot of church background, it'll make sense a little bit. But there's been a whole lot of speculation and debate and books written and things on, on this verse, on drawing, and if that you know, is, is to be resisted or not, or if that's possible, or when he says all men, does that mean everybody, or does that mean all types of men, blah, blah, blah. That's not the point of what Jesus is trying to get across to us or his audience. The point he's trying to get across is the same thing he's been doing over and over and over and over. And this is about the seventh or eighth time that this is deeply ironic, that when you are crucified, that is not normally attractive. It's normally repulsive, that when someone is crucified, that is to show how impotent you really are and how powerful those that are crucifying you are that you raised your voice or you raised your sword or you had an agenda that went against the Roman government so you're snuffed out and stamped out and put down and we'll show you that we rule with an iron fist and we will kill you. And people that see a crucifixion don't normally find that as something they just want to gawk at and stare at and be magnetically attracted to. People that see a crucifixion act as they did temporarily. Matthew tells us that when Jesus was lifted up, he's between two thieves, and he tells us what the everyday Joe did as he walked by. That Jesus was right outside the city on a very public way, and people naturally were walking by. and like, oh, who's the crucifixion of the day? I don't know, that guy. And he says that when they walked by, they wagged their heads, meaning they shook their heads, said, idiot. What, what in the world? What you get, it, it was an example. You were publicly made a show of. We're told that some people who knew Jesus in his words mocked him and said, oh, you who's gonna destroy the temple and raise it up in three days? If you're the son of man, if you're the son of God, come down, right? Talked a big game there, buddy, didn't you? And look at you now. That's what the cross normally is. It's a mockery and a shame, it's something that, that what you'd never get glory out of. You'd never find attractive. And Jesus says, my death, though typically offensive to the, to the minds of the world, is going to be attractive to every human heart. What I think Jesus is saying here is that there is something fundamentally attractive about what I am going to do. And if someone looks at the cross and understands the cross, they are going to find that there is something magnetic inside of themselves that is that is pushing them towards it, that is finding it not not as a not repelling them away, but is drawing them in, is is inclining their hearts to love and to look at this and to want this. It's beautiful. It's going to be beautiful. It's what he's saying. My crucifixion will be beautiful. Now, to us, we're, we're a bit removed. We're like, okay, yeah. To his followers, you can understand how this was like, what in the world are you talking about? How in the world, glory and beauty and your what? This is, this is crazy. That's what they say in the next verse. This is crazy. What do you mean? But Jesus says, look, this, this will attract your heart. The best way I can illustrate this is just to ask yourself right now. We've been talking about the cross for about 15, 20 minutes. Hasn't been an extremely comical sermon, been pretty straightforward and down the line. Have you found in your own heart that there's been something that's been warming over the past 10 or 15 minutes? I dare say, if you know Jesus and you understand what the cross was for, there has been. Why is it that the song that seems... It was 90% pessimistic, that song. Our sin, our wrong, our guilt, we're undone, we're a mess, we're a travesty. Whatever the song said. That was, that was pretty much it. But Jesus is awesome. Why is it that that warms our heart and doesn't depress us? Why? Because there is something attractive. There's a drawing there. There's, there's a, a magnetization. I don't know if I said that word right. But there's, there's something magnetic inside of the cross. And it's not just emotional. Sure, it should be emotional. Yeah, it it does step on our feelers a bit, but it should go beyond that. It should not just warm our heart. It should change our heart. It should grow our heart, enlarge our heart, transform our heart. That's what he's saying. Look, Look at what this is going to do look at what my death is going to be do you see how god's going to get so much glory out of this how wise this is although it seems crazy how wise it is here's the ending they respond to him and say how could a dead prophet throw off the romans pretty much jesus we read that like you know the seed of david the messiah like we've connected the dots that's going to be eternal seed. that's that's going to be an eternal messiah And they are right that Jesus, you know, they didn't understand he was going to raise from the dead and he lives eternally still today. So they were right to a degree, but no, no, you can't die. That can't happen. And what is Jesus' response? It's a bit cryptic. He doesn't really even answer them directly. This is what he says, verse 35. Yet a little while is the light with you, meaning this is coming soon. Don't got a lot of time before this happens. Walk while you have the light, Lest darkness come upon you, for he that walketh in darkness knoweth not whither he goeth. Verse 36 will make this clear. What he's saying is believe and follow now. You don't don't got too long before I die. Now's your chance. Now's the day. Take your opportunity. If you don't and you push me to the side, you're going to walk in darkness. And when you walk in darkness, you stumble around and you don't know where you're going. So I'm the light. Here's what he says. He explains it. While ye have light, believe in the light that ye may be the children of light. These things spake Jesus and departed to hide himself from them. That's how he ends it. He walks away. Jesus, you can't die. He's already told him he's going to. He doesn't back up on that. What he says is, believe what I told you. And believe now. Don't wait. Don't delay. Don't put it off. Don't ignore it. Take action. Believe now. Trust in the light. I'll make you a child of light. Implement this into your life right now. Now the world has a lot of different religions and a lot of different philosophies. The cross isn't one more to add to the list. It's it's not one more ideal in in a list of other ideals. What Jesus clearly shows you is that the cross shatters all of the ways of thinking. All of what we would call normal. It flips it upside down. And Jesus, Jesus says the, the way the world normally thinks and operates is wrong. The way up isn't get it and be greedy. Good on you. The way up is down. The way to get power is to give it away and to serve. The way to be rich and have real riches is to give away your money radically. The real way to assurance of your value and that someone loves you unconditionally is to admit that you are a mess and that you are a sinner and that you needed someone to come from heaven and die for you. That's upside down. Most therapists aren't going to tell you that. But Jesus says, I'm I'm flipping all that. And here's if you were to take this week and last week, because he's he's done this, we've looked at it for two weeks now. Here is the sum total of what Jesus says in this in this passage. From the donkey and riding it on Palm Sunday all the way to this where he walks away. The sum total is three things. I'm going to save you through weakness. I'm going to die. So connect with me through weakness and live and follow me through weakness. The first one he did, I will die for you. I will be weak. I will put down, but watch what happens. Glory and power and authority and and, and beauty will be there. So you, he says, connect with me through weakness and live with me through weakness. Connect with me through weakness, meaning believe. Meaning you have to come to a point where you admit, I'm a sinner and I'm weak and I can't save myself. The Bible word for that is repentance. Repentance. I repent of who I am. I repent of what I've done. I repent of my wrongs. I can't make up for it. I can't earn enough credit with God. I can't be good enough. That, that seems like weakness. To wave the white flag, to say I surrender, to bow the knee, to say you're Lord and in control and I'm not, that seems weak. But he says, do that. See if you don't find life. It feels like you're dying, but you're not. You'll find life. Then he says, live with me in weakness. Serve me in weakness. Don't think about yourself. Think about others. Deprioritize yourself. See if you don't find that, that living is really materialized when you don't just have king self sitting on the throne of your life. Put me on the throne. See if I'm not a better ruler than you are of your own life. Lay down your life. You'll gain it. Don't, don't hate, don't love your life. Hate your life. Fall into the ground and die. Serve me. Serve others. That's what he says. I in weakness will save you. You in weakness, bow the knee, repent of your sin, and believe on me. And then from that standpoint, live. Move forward. Follow my pattern. Live as I lived. I died. There should be a death of yourself where I'm no longer in control. And my question to you is, would you take the admonition of verses 35 and 36? Because it all points to this. It's very climactic, and it's Jesus is pushing for a decision to his audience. Jesus is pushing them to say, don't delay, take action, don't put it off. Believe, act, implement this, live on this. I'm gonna die soon, do it now. And my question to you would be, are you willing to do it now? Now maybe you already have, maybe you walked in this morning, living that way, you're great. Good for you. But maybe this morning you walked in Not knowing for sure that you're a follower of Jesus. Not knowing that you've really believed. Not knowing that he has taken care of your sins and that that's out of the way and that you have a home in heaven. He would tell you, I'll tell you his words right here. Believe now while you have time, do it. Don't delay on that. Put your faith in him. Accept him as savior. He wants to save you. If you have done that, live off this. Live off this. I know it feels like suicide of your will. I know it does. It does. But Jesus would say, if you lay down your life, you're really going to find it. You're really going to gain it. You will find something that you would have never found otherwise. If you will live as I live, serve as I serve, give as I gave...